You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. This weather has been so nice. Um, it's easier to be outside for the last couple days. Oh, do you? Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and being outside... I had more opportunity to notice how out of control uh, the weeds have gotten. Those weeds keep growing. You might have noticed the same thing. Uh, This year I have morning glory growing in my garden like never before. The name makes them sound glorious, but they are evil. They are next to impossible to get rid of unless you like dig out your entire garden and start over. Uh, they grow up and over everything and choke out anything else that's growing. My whole front yard garden keeps getting this web of morning glories that grow up and over and threaten to take over the whole thing. So every time I walk by out my front door, which is often, I have to consciously choose whether or not to stop and to try to weed for a minute or just let it go. And it's it's this awareness of ongoing work that needs to be done to save my garden. Um, Not only that, but I get the side eye from my neighbor every time he sees me because the weeds are creeping over into his yard. It's very manicured garden. So I really want to do something about it, like all the time. I usually have to stop, I have to check my impulse to stop and get caught up in weeding because I have something else ahead of me to do that's important and I can't do it all. And saying yes to the thing in front of me that catches my eye or in that moment feels easier to do means that I'm saying no to something else. Work abounds, doesn't it? There's always something more to do. There's never enough hours in a day, my dad would say. Uh, For those of you who don't garden, I'm sure you have your own ongoing work that needs to be done. There's always something more to do. How do you decide what what gets done and what gets left undone? Washing the dishes, applying for grad school, finding a new job, getting your children clothes that fit, seeing family, making the appointment you keep putting off, maintaining a friendship, managing all the hard stuff that happens day to day. You have your own list, I'm sure. Uh, My neighbor was just telling me that he spent three weeks out of town with his mom who was dying from cancer and came home to find that someone had stolen the catalytic converter right off of his car. His basement keeps flooding because of a problem with his neighbor's property uh, and he can't get on top of all the projects that he has going. There are always, there's always more than enough important things to do. And then there's what's happening in the world and our country. How much do I engage with the news? About 12 boys trapped in a Thai cave for days 
children being separated from their parents at the border, without being overwhelmed by my emotions and just shutting down. Do I go to the ICE protest downtown? Should I donate to this organization? The list goes on and on. Good work abounds. How do we decide what to do? We, I think we are made for work. From professions, to protests, to dishes, to leading. All of our work matters to God. Jesus is Lord of all, so we have repented of separating the sacred and the secular, as if some types of work are more important than others. Life in Christ is one whole cloth. Uh, but if we just stop there and say that everything we do is important and everything we aren't doing is important too, <laughs> then we could just wither under a sense of obligation or responsibility or withdraw to avoid a sense of being not enough or not having enough or not doing enough. If you've ever felt burned out or jaded or driven by the tyranny of the urgent, you probably understand this. If all of our work can participate in the redemption of all of life, how do we decide what to do? How do we prioritize? It can be really hard to discern. There's a lot of theology of work a lot to a theology of work to consider. But one thing I understand through the New Testament and, and displayed in the book of Acts that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks is that our main work as followers of Jesus is summed up in the great commandment and the great commission to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and to go and make disciples of Jesus. Doing this common work together is not just about accomplishing tasks. It's about living as part of a new kingdom of God that was ushered into the world through Jesus. It is about surrendering to a new order that Jesus made possible. It's not our order, or our kingdom, or even just our priorities. We are not leading this new way of life or accomplishing things in our own power. We're invited into the power that Jesus brings through his death, death and resurrection. We're invited to live a whole new way that is not ordered around our vision for the world or our sense of rightness or what we think is the most important thing. First Peter speaks to this, and if you're following along with the Circle of Hope daily prayer blog, the wind blog, you got some of this already today. Peter says, Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the glorious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. 
So you must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Peter calls us to childlike obedience as a way of overcoming our tendency to our own individual desires. Children demonstrate how hard this is, how hard it can be to know your, know your own desires. Kids often get stuck in the first thing that comes to their minds that they think they want. As adults, we can guess that what they really want and need is to be loved, to be special, to be seen. But in moments, kids often have little awareness of that, of the desire beneath their immediate desire. So seeing ourselves as children, as a child of a loving parent, is a good place to begin to grow into the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Children benefit from obedience because the demand of their unprocessed desire comes into conflict with the limits set by desires of their parents or caregivers. And as much or as little as we've become aware of our desires, preparing our minds for common action will require us to let some of our desires go, some of the good work that we might do. We actually get better as we conform to a common work together, a common purpose and a common vision through Jesus. Like Peter's friends that he's talking to, the fact that there was a time that we didn't know any better means that we are changing. That's what he's referring to when he says they didn't know any better then. We develop and we grow in our obedience to Jesus and to a common vision together. There's an author, David Benner, who I really like. He, in his book called Desiring God's Will, he talks about how being ruled by the, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of God, has a whole different character than the kingdom of yourself. The old ways of living that Peter is talking about are organized around ourselves, just like children. It's, it's a normal... Um, stage of development, that as we, as we are transformed in the renewing of our minds, we come to live into the kingdom of God. And Benner describes the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God in these ways. He talks about the kingdom of self as being ruled by Self-interest. Oh, and I, I was struck by how many of these words that he uses describe, relate to our culture, cultural ideas of work, at least ones that I grew up with. Let's see if they resonate with you. Ruled by self-interest, 
grasping, achievement, effort, independence, holding, willful, clenched fist and closed heart, hard and brittle, and determination. When we're operating out of our old ways, we often try to work with those kinds of characteristics. The kingdom of God has a whole different set of characters character is characterized in a whole different way. Um, these words express what's possible when we live into a relationship with a loving God who we can trust, where we can surrender in obedience as children who don't always know what's best. It's a very different relationship than the one where we are in control and we're striving out of our own efforts. The kingdom of love is ruled by God, releasing the gift. There's consent and interdependence, releasing a willingness, open hands and heart, soft and malleable transformation. I found myself asking out of what energy, out of what kingdom I'm trying to work. And I feel like I'm always battling old messages and old influences with what Jesus has to offer. So I found great comfort in Benner's description. I want to read this to you. Maybe you can relate as well. If I'm honest, he says, I have to admit that much of the time I find myself moving back and forth between the two kingdoms. I open my hands and my heart to God and others. And then I find myself grasping and controlling life with clenched fist willfulness. I catch sight of God's grandeur, vision, and I feel the paltry worthy worthlessness of my own. And then I have to find, and then I find I have again turned from God and am busy protecting my self-interest and controlling my life to maximize what I think will be my fulfillment. After four decades of Christ following, one thing above all has become supremely clear to me. I can't make the spiritual changes I want on my own. I cannot will myself into surrender. I cannot simply screw my determination and choose God's will over mine once and for all. What I can do, however, is talk to God honestly about the realities of my soul. And I can turn back to God once again and hear Jesus' gentle voice of invitation. Come to me, all you who are labor and are overburdened and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 20, 11, 28, and 29. 
Hearing this invitation, everything within me wants to draw near and receive the gift of love that Jesus represents. Not out of obligation, but out of a soul-aching desire. And each time I do, my heart is slowly but progressively more aligned with the heart of God. God's desires becoming my desires and God's will becoming my will. That kind of rest goes hand in hand with the work of God. I want to share two stories from this week of how that played out for me. I got to meet with the Coalition for Christian Outreach staff person who works at Jefferson University. Um, we've been trying to make a connection. It used to be um, Phil U. We've been trying, Jerome and I tried to make a connection at Phil U two years ago when we first started. Um, and then Teresa and Jim Storch, who are part of this congregation, told me that they uh, are friends with the staff person there and they actually host a CCO team of college students at their house every summer. So I made a connection with, with um, Esther, the staff person, and she invited me to come join them for their dinner. And it, I was telling Robbie it is some of the most fun I've had and he asked me why. And I realized it was because I had this sense the whole time I was there as I talked to her about our congregation, what we're trying to do, why we want to make connections with students on campus, and listen to her about what the students need, what challenges she faces, what they face. I had this sense that God had prepared the way the whole time. She already knows a number of you. She's already connected and aware of Circle of Hope because of relationships with people that she's come across. Um, she and I knew people in common. Um, meeting with the students and telling them about Circle of Hope, they had all kinds of questions and were really excited about what, what we're doing. And they, they could relate because they talked about how They've come from all over the U.S. for a, an eight-week experience here in Philadelphia um, to try to be a community together, to try to share their faith, to serve together, to learn together. And a lot of the ways they were talking about what they're doing is really what we're trying to be as the church in everyday life. And that vision excited them. Many of them could feel themselves changing even in their experience together already. So it was totally energizing to me. It felt like rest. And the second example I have um, happened yesterday morning on over, over uh, a Google call <laughs> with seven other people from four of our different congregations who got together to talk about our building project and to try to strategize what our next move is and to make a proposal. Rebecca called us together. She's our project manager. Uh, she organized the call. She led it well. We talked through a lot of information and a lot of options. And 
I got off the call. Still, we don't know how things will proceed with this building on Shelton Avenue, but I got off the call full of joy because I felt such rest at being among this team of people who are um, really giving their gifts, their best gifts. Ravi and I were talking about this too, and he was like, did you ever like expect to buy a building as a pastor? You know, what, How much do you know about this? Like I'm learning as I go, and I have a team. We have we have a team of some of our best people who um, have done this before, have specialized knowledge that they're speaking into the process, and it gave me such rest and such peace, regardless of what comes of this particular um, building. It is a lot of work. Joel can attest to that, but I find the rest in Jesus because of this team, because of this community of people on a mission together. So I hope that can encourage you that in obedience and submission to a common vision, we find our work and God multiplies our efforts. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.